Well, good morning, big kids who get to stay in here. The little kids get to leave. Littler kids, I should say. But as a, I couldn't help but just be laughing in the front pew here going, just laughing. I love all the personalities that come out. Sometimes I'm like, we need to be more like little kids, I think. You know, we got Maverick bowing to everybody, you know. We got some sitting down. We got some just kind of in their own world. I like, I'm like, you know what? There's something refreshing about not being so aware and maybe even like kind of under the pressure of what people might think. Kids are just like, whatever. You know, here we are. I am who I am. It is kind of refreshing. I do want to say before I uh, get started in our sermon here this morning, um, I'm under no disillusionment that just because we're here this morning doesn't mean that we're like, yippee skippy, praise the Lord, everything is great in my life. I, uh, I'm fully aware of the fact that there are a number of us in here that are coming in heavy, weighed down. There's a lot going on in life, things that are outside of your control, circumstances that you're still grappling with going, there is no black and white answer. And you are here this morning going, God, please show up. Give me something. Give me something tangible to, to, to latch on to. And so I just want to say up front, I love the fact that we can gather together because I think a significant aspect of our consistent gathering is the way in which we can encourage one another, that we can strengthen one another, that we can worship in a variety of ways in different aspects. And I trust fully that God will, in fact, by his spirit, minister to your heart. And I pray that even this time of worship through the preaching of the word would also minister to your heart. So I'm actually gonna pray for us again. I'm gonna ask that God would do what only God can do, and that is to give us what we need to move forward in faithfulness. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, right now we just acknowledge the fact that we need you. Every moment, every hour, every day, we need you. And how easy it is to, in certain parts of our life or certain seasons of life to just kind of be like, we got it. We're good. Things are in motion, as the way, at least in the way I think they should be. Until we're blindsided by circumstances that we could have never predicted. Situations that we could never have wished for. And yet here we are. But Father, we find great comfort in many truths, but one particular truth of that is you are with us. Doesn't mean that we are not still in the midst, in the throes of our hardship, but you are with us. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because you are with us. Father, may we find great comfort and peace and hope and reassurance because of your presence with us. We ask and invite your presence to invade us now. We ask, Holy Spirit, to give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a willingness to move forward in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before I jump into the, the topic of 
our sermon discussion here this morning, I do want to just bring a quick review as to kind of where we've come up to this point in our sermon series, which is basically a sermon series about church membership. Um, you may be wondering why in the world are you in church membership. I'll, I'll explain that in just a second. But uh, back in the very beginning of September, the first weekend of September, we, we really posed a question, what is the church? And if you haven't listened to that sermon, I encourage you just to listen to that sermon. I won't give it for you now um, because that would make our time go very long. But uh, I encourage you to go back to the beginning. What is the church? And then we went into kind of what is the vision and the mission specifically here at IBC? The vision being glorifying God in all things and delighting in him. You'll see it on the wall when you walk into the foyer. The mission being to make disciples that in turn make disciples. And then we went in and talked about the importance of church membership, of why we believe that it's a, an important step to take in the local church context. And then we went into the biblical basis for our leadership structure, which is an elder leadership structure, and we talked about the elders' commitment to the church body. Then we had a couple-week hiatus where we had Tim Kimmel here, uh, who was doing our parenting seminar and did a parenting sermon, and and then we had um, Pastor Mike also kind of resume our, our services. We had our annual celebration in that too. Then Pastor Mike last week talked about a member's commitment to church leadership. My wife and I were gone on our anniversary during last week's sermon. But I heard, uh, well, let's see, I, I listened to it the next day. And I really appreciate Mike's gracious directedness. I made, I made uh, one comment. I was like, only Mike could have preached that sermon and gotten away with it. <laughs> I love it. No, I really appreciate that. The truth in love. Perfect balance of grace, grace and truth. Now, you might be wondering why, you know, what reason we are, what, why are we going in through this kind of long-winded version of our church membership? And, I, you know, I really believe that actually in this last year and a half or so, there's been all kinds of things that have come to the surface, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but one of the, the questions, or probably a, a number of the questions that have been raised during this kind of interesting season we've all been in is really like questions like, what is the church? How, how should I regard, understand, reflect upon the church, especially as the Bible defines it? What are the identifiable markers of a healthy follower of Jesus Christ? What expectations should I have or what expectations can I have for the church, for my own life and for my family? So in many ways, what we are doing is really kind of going back to some fundamental truths about what it means to be a Christian as well as what a Christian's relationship is to the local church. I think it's also important to acknowledge this as we go through this and as we even, when we even come to the end of our church membership series is this, IBC may not be the church for you. And that's okay. You might find that a little kind of weird that the pastor is saying this may not be the church for you but it's just a fact it may not be the church for you it may not be the ideal fit by the way i just want to qualify that there's no church that really would probably be the ideal fit because every church is made of people flawed people people that are going to bug you and annoy you 
So just by the way, whatever pasture you choose to feed in, you're gonna have struggles. You're gonna have discouragements. You're gonna have issues that come up, but at the same time, you're also going to have some wonderful moments, and you're going to have some joy-filled moments, and you're going to have some life-giving, life-transforming moments as well. The important question that we all must grapple with and reflect on seriously is, where is God leading me, and and for some of you, and my family? That's it. Where is God leading us? And that's where we need to be fully vested in. That's where we need to be, as I've said in the why church membership, why we need to be all in. Not partially in, not a consumer, not a spectator, but be a functioning or a contributing member in a local church context. And just to kind of answer some of the questions that have been coming in through the front office, some of you have been asking, how do I become a church member? I want to be a church member. No one said anything about it. Let me just say up here, please be patient. We are purposely kind of delaying that because we want you to go through the entire church membership series and then make a God-informed choice. We want you to be led by the Spirit and, 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 if, and if he's going, yes, IBC is my church, then at that point, make a decision. So we'll be ending this series uh, at the end of January because we're going to be taking another hiatus through Christmas and doing an Advent series. Uh, But we'll be concluding this series at the end of January, and then come February, we'll give you instructions as to how you can become an official member, if you're not already, uh, of IBC, and then we'll give instruction about how that kind of goes from there. So just be patient. If for whatever reason you're going, hey, I want to serve, but I've been told I can't serve because I need to be a member, but I can't become a member, we'll make an exception to the rule. It's okay. Policy is what it is until we have to say except for and except for and except for. It's like the English language. There's rules in the English language except for all the exceptions, right? So just consider it like the English language, I guess. This morning we continue our membership series by really pointing out one of the identifiable markers of a healthy follower of Jesus. And the title of our sermon here if we got it right there, yes, is this. A healthy church member is a functioning member. A healthy church member is a functioning member. I want to actually invite you to turn on, turn to, whatever it may be, your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and there's going to be one verse that we're going to be reading and unpacking for our time here this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 10. You can read along, you can look up at the screen if you so desire. I like it when I hear the pages turning. (laughs) And if you want to pull out your pen, you can pull it out too. Underlining is okay in your Bibles. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, pre- God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me say this verse again, but let me change one of the pronouns here. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. 
when you kind of just camp on this verse, I think very quickly you'll see that it's dripping with gospel truth as well as gospel implications. And so what I want to do for our time here this morning is I want to break down each clause, draw out and make sure that we are on the same page, clarify what the clause, what the statements are actually saying, and then draw application from each of these statements. And so we're going to go through the first part here. The first part is, for we are his workmanship. This word for workmanship can be translated a number of ways. Depending on which translation you're reading from, you might have, we are his handiwork, we are his masterpiece, we are his creation. Whatever translation you're reading from, it all kind of points to the same point. We are his masterpiece. This statement actually refers most distinctly to your identity and my identity in Christ. It speaks to our identity that we as Christians ultimately belong to God. Notice it doesn't say that God is our masterpiece. It does not say that God is our creation. That would be called idolatry. No, it says we are his creation. We are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. And that speaks to identity. That speaks to divine sonship. That speaks to divine daughtership. And so even though our world today might promote and encourage and endorse and push this idea that this is my life, this is my world, this is my body, and I should be able to do as I please, the biblical worldview says this, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, my life is not my own, but I have been bought with a price. So the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview is that you don't belong to you. You belong to God. To put it in maybe a, a, a modern day colloquialism, he owns you. You belong to him. And I think we'll find out in just a moment that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. You or we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What, what, what does it mean that we're created in Christ Jesus? Well, we have to actually look back at the first nine verses. If you're in your Bible still, look at the first nine verses of Ephesians chapter two. Paul starts his chapter in this way. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Let me just pause there just for a moment. What Paul is saying there in many words is this. You are dead spiritually. And because you are dead spiritually, we are also in turn dead physically. In other words, we have a time stamp on our lives because of this thing called sin. Sin is anything that separates us from God. Sin is anything that's in violation to God's moral law. It's anything that's in violation to his holy character. And because of Adam and Eve's choice at the very beginning of history, the beginning of God's creation, you and I, being a part of their lineage, have been born with this fallen and therefore dead nature. 
How much do dead people do? How much can, can dead people do? Zilch. Nada. Nothing. But God. One of the greatest transitions in all of Scripture. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. What does it mean to be created in Christ Jesus? Right there. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, here's the purpose, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. And not a result of work so that no one person may boast. So if we were to summarize this kind of picture that the Apostle Paul gives us here in the first nine verses, we see that everything that God created in the very beginning was perfect. And the human race was created with a unique purpose and that we are created to be in relationship with God, to walk with him, to enjoy his presence, to enjoy his fellowship, to walk for eternity with him. But things known to only God's sovereignty, he also allowed for sin to be an option. And so we see that even though Adam and Eve were perfect, they did not have a fallen nature. They still chose to rebel. They were still deceived in the garden by the enemy. And because of that, it, it really introduced a, a corruptive, cancerous thing called sin, as I just described earlier. And it corrupted all of God's creation. And therefore, all human beings are dead in their sins. They're dead in their trespasses. They can only do dead works. And they are deserving of God's divine wrath. But that's not the end of the story, thank the Lord. But God, who loves us so dearly, he loves his creation so much, he says, even though you were dead in your trespasses, in fact, in Rome, as Romans 5, 8 says, even though you were enemies of God, what did he do? He died for you. He took your penalty. He took your guilt. He took it upon himself. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And he wants to restore that relationship that was severed because of sin. And so we see that as a Christian ultimately was once born dead spiritually is now being raised to life spiritually all because of Jesus, specifically his death and resurrection. And now in Christ Jesus, that relationship with God that, was, that we were created to enjoy and experience fully from the beginning has now been restored. That's usually a good time to say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Look what he did for us. We didn't do anything. We did nothing. He did it all. He paid it all. 
fact, I can't think of a better time than to celebrate communion right now. The fact that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves, the fact that God sent his son to be the savior of the world, we have the opportunity to celebrate the perfect life, the perfect ministry, but most specifically, the death of Jesus on a cross. Why would we celebrate someone's death? Because his death brought you life. His death saved you. His death redeemed you. His death guarantees your, your eternal salvation. His death promises relationship with God now, not some future anticipation, though it will be fully realized then, but it begins now. And so when we eat this bread, we're not just eating a chunk of homemade bread here. We're remembering what Jesus has done, what great sacrifice he has done out of love for you. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he says, this bread represents my body which was freely broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Mm. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he says, this cup represents my blood which was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins washing you clean, making you guiltless. Let's drink in remembrance of Jesus. Father, if we were to conclude our sermon right now, we just want to say we celebrate you. We love you. And we know that we can only love you because you first loved us and you pursued, and you saved, and you, are, you continue to be a relentless pursuer of us. Jesus, we celebrate you now. You're the hero of it all. You're the hero of our story. We want to make much of you now. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, in a sense that creation is a sort of recreation. Created for what? For good works. We were created for good works. This really speaks to our purpose, where we as there's workmanship speaks to our identity. Created for good works speaks to our purpose. It speaks to our design. Now before we go further, I just want to kind of maybe clear the air because it might seem a little confusing. When you see verse 9 and then you see verse 10, it seems almost like a contradiction, right? Verse 9 says, not of works so that no one can boast. And then Jesus goes, then Paul goes on to say, now you are created in Christ for good works, what gives? What is that all about? Is it works or not works? Which is it? Yes and no. Let me just give a brief explanation real quick here. Yes, works do not save you. Works have no power to save you. And what I mean by works, works are any good deed or any a good action that is really, really sourced in, initiated by God through you. That's what a good work is. There's lots of good works out there we put in the, under the label of good works. But biblical good works are everything that is, begins with God is really carried out through his people. 
That's what a good work is. And by the way, doing good things, according to Scripture, has no bearing on your salvation. It cannot save you. It doesn't give you more favor with God. It doesn't allow. It doesn't mean that he loves you more. There's no hierarchical as far as like, I love you more, I love you a little bit less, let's see how much you can come up to a certain level. No, that's not what the Scripture says. The Gospel says you're all dead, and he made us all alive. Regardless of how bad or good you think you are, Yet, from that salvation, that place of salvation, we see, as James even emphasizes, faith without works is dead. So on one hand, yes, works do not save us, but on the other hand, we were saved so that we could do and fulfill and carry out good works. Because God is a God of good works. He loves doing good things. He's doing it all the time. And now he wants to do it through you. To not do good works would almost be a a contradiction to what it means to be God. And now that we are in Christ, and now that Christ is in us, we cannot help but do good works. I love how James Boyce actually kind of says it. He says, "We we are justified by faith alone, meaning that works cannot save us. But then he goes on to say that we are not justified by a faith that is alone. Hopefully I didn't confuse you there. We are justified by faith alone, but we are not justified by a faith that is alone. God does everything from a place of regenerated salvation, a heart that is now awakened, eyes that are open to see, now we are saved for good works. Think about it for a moment. God created you. God created you and he has created me and has saved us on purpose and for a purpose and that purpose is ultimately to fulfill his purposes. Isn't that crazy? He didn't save you so that you could kind of live your life on your terms. He saved you so you could live your life on his terms to carry out his desires, to carry out his purposes. As Titus 3.8 says, those who believe in God should be careful to devote themselves to good works. Now, before we begin, begin to kind of make this conclusion or idea that somehow this sounds pretty plain or, or plain and mundane, maybe boring, maybe sounds dry, like, oh man, I don't get to choose what makes me happy. Can I just say to you that, again, we, we, we need a biblical informed perspective and view on life and reality. Jesus says in John 15, 11, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that my joy may be full. You could even add in you. So according to Jesus, we see this, that the greatest joy, the fullest joy that you and I can experience in this life is when we experience life or live our lives for the ultimate purpose of bearing fruit by an abiding relationship with Jesus. Because again, the first 10 verses of John 15 are all about abide in me and then therefore bear good works. Keep my commandments. This is how you bear good works. Abide in me, abide in me. This is the pathway. This is the source. This is the the ultimate uh, way in which you and I experience ultimate lasting joy. And by the way, if I could just say time out real quickly, it's critical that we keep coming back to this necessary point of reference because Six and a half days of our week, and probably even a chunk this morning, you are already 
inundated and bombarded with competing joys, competing ideologies, competing messages that say, I'll make you happy. I'll satisfy you. This will make you you're more joyful. This will satisfy you. This will appease you. And Jesus says, all those things come and go. But there is a joy, there's a fulfillment, there's a satisfaction that only I can give, and it's one that lasts forever. When we are intent on living in an abiding relationship with Jesus, which means just walking with him every day, inviting him into every facet of our life every day, coming unto his lordship and surrendering to his lordship every day, acknowledging him in prayer and through scripture every single day, every moment of every day, it is then that we actually are able to receive his joy and our joy is full. The good news doesn't stop there, however. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. But guess what? God equips you to carry out those good works. Isn't that crazy? That God doesn't leave you stranded? He doesn't, he doesn't somehow kind of leave you going, hey, you've got to do good works. Good luck with that. Don't tick me off. Don't, dis, don't, you know, don't make me angry. No, he says, not only am I actually going to, commissioning you to do good works, Not only am I empowering you to do good works, but I'm actually going to equip you for everything you need to do that. He doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us empty-handed. He empowers us with his spirit so that we can apply what we know. But it's important, again, going back to John 15, in the sense that we kind of plug into the power source, you know. This morning I had toast for breakfast. Toast is something that I eat after having putting a piece of, in our case, sourdough bread in a toaster. What is a toaster without a wall outlet? Piece of metal with a rubber tail, perhaps? It's worthless, really. It's just an appliance that has potential to do something, but unless plugged into the wall, guess what? It's just taking up space and creating a little bit of dirt kind of speckles around it called food crumbs. But when plugged into the wall, it produces an intended outcome. Or consider it like this. What is a tool? In general, a tool is a hunk of shaped metal. And before it's put in the hand of a skilled creator, it is just a paperweight slowly degrading over time. But when placed in the hand of a creator, a skilled creator, all of a sudden that tool, that that hunk of formed or shaped metal is used for divine purposes. The same is true in our lives. Unless we're willing to kind of plug into the power source or, or to, to be a tool in the hands of our creator, only then can we actually carry out the works that God has called us to fulfill. In other words, we cannot do it on our own power. We must do it on his power. Most of you know this. I grew up in Alaska, and um, in Alaska, our primary source of 
heat was a wood stove. Growing up in a double-wide trailer, they were not the most efficient of dwelling places. And so uh, the stove was one side of the house. Our rooms were the other side of the house. Yeah, I thought it was normal to have frost on the inside of your windows. I just thought that's how everybody's house was. And so we would fill this woodshed up, this massive woodshed up every summer to kind of plan for five to six months of necessary uh, for winter. And so that was what we got to do as a kid. You know, as a little kid, we're, we're hauling wood with a wheelbarrow and we're stacking wood, we're filling that woodshed. There's always this little window of time to fill that woodshed for the winter. And so it did not take long. And of course, my dad's working an hour and a half away each way, so he's commuting a lot. He's not at home. So evenings and weekends were kind of like, that was what we did. We cut, we split, and we stacked. And so at an, even at a young age, I started using the chainsaw, the old metal home light, right? Not the nice light stuff we have today. A heavy chainsaw, about the, about the age of eight, I think it was. But even before that, my dad would allow me to kind of get my hands on it. So he'd be cutting, and I, I'd, I'd kind of be right between him, and, and I'd put my hands on the chainsaw, and I'm not doing anything. But I am going with emotion, right? And he's moving the chainsaw around. But the whole time, I'm learning how to cut wood, even though I'm not holding the chainsaw, really. I'm not actually the one cutting the wood. In fact, I'm really probably in the way and slowing his progress down. But I'm learning a lot. And as I'm watching how my dad does the motions and knowing when the the chain starts kind of getting stalled out, when to kind of let off the pressure, or when to come underneath the wood, I'm learning how to cut wood. And eventually when I was strong enough to hold this really heavy chainsaw, dad's like, can you cut that pile? And so I'd start cutting it. And at a young age, both my brother and I, we start cutting wood. Here's the whole point of that story. In the beginning, I wasn't doing a thing. I was participating. I was going through the motions. I was a part of it. But God was really the one doing it. And that is how it is with how God works through us for good works. The good works that he calls us to are really God doing it through you. He's really the one doing it in you and through you. That's why Paul would say this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. So not only does he equip us for these good works, but he also goes before us and says, hey, but I've, already taken everything. I've already taken care of everything. All the details are accounted for, kind of like a vacation planner. Yeah, you gotta pack your bags, you gotta get to the airport, but I've done it all. Just show up, be available, be faithful, I'm the one doing the work. I'm the one who's take care of all the details. I've created the works that you are to walk into. My redemptive purposes have already been planned out from the beginning, and we get to partner with him. We get to work in coordination with him. And so we see, as he says at the very last statement, walk in them. Some translators even put this as a command, so walk in them. Can I just take a time out for a moment and just say this? I love watching you walk in those things that God has called you to do. When I, when I, as I was preparing this sermon, by the way, Steve, we're going to cancel the last song. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, looking at the time here, looking at the, I'm only halfway done, just kidding. Um, 
When I took the time just to reflect and just to, just to, to see how much many of you are serving in some capacity in some place, not even necessarily on a Sunday morning perhaps, but just serving Christ in his church in some way, it just brought a smile to my face. But let me just, let me just kind of address what took place even this morning. This morning, even though I know all of us got up a little earlier than normal, maybe not, this morning people were here turning on the lights. The worship team was practicing. We had the tech people up there getting everything dialed in, final moments. The lights were being turned on. Communion elements were already prepared, set up for when you walk in the door. Coffee's being made. There are so many things that many of you are doing in preparation for our gathering. People serving Christ in his church, either in the way they've been gifted or the way that at least they've been called. And not to mention, we had a whole exodus of young people, ages four to eight. They sang with us, sang for us, and then they exited out. Now they're being discipled in a contextual way. And guess what? There are a number of people volunteering, serving your children. And for you parents of very young people, which I fall into that category as well, there is a nursery going on right now so that you can actually, it's quiet in here, right? You know why that is? Because of faithfulness of others. Ashley Konopaski overseeing that ministry, making it possible for us to be here. Not that I don't love the, the joy, not, as, not that it's always joyous, but the, the cry of a baby for mama, not usually for daddy. But the fact is, there are so many people that are serving even for our gathering here this morning. And I know many of you are serving all week long. I mean, we got trees being downed. I look at Rob Hooker there playing on his excavator. I know it's work. In my mind, it's playing. Because the one time I got an excavator, I was like, man, I just want to dig another hole so bad. It was so awesome. But the fact is, like, there are so many of you that are just serving faithfully. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving Christ's church so well. Thank you for being diligent, yes. And if you're sitting here this morning and going like, well, maybe I'm not serving in some capacity. Maybe I'm not, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do. How how should I get involved if if I really want to get involved? How do I I fulfill those good works that God has already preordained in my life? The answer is by listening. Listening. Listening and then being willing to respond to what the Lord is commissioning you to do. You know, when we listen to what God is saying to us, it is then that we know or are able to receive our divine orders. John 16, verse 13 and following, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. That's not just content that we fill our heads with, but it translates into action. 
He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. This is Jesus speaking. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. How do we know those works that God is calling us into? By listening. And how do we listen? Kind of a twofold way. By diligently being in the scripture and through prayer. Not a newsflash. Just another reminder. Another gentle prod of the things that matter most. It's interesting that in Matthew 9 when Jesus says, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. He's almost kind of raising or sounding the alarm. And then he says, so pray earnestly. He doesn't say, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, so hurry up. Time is of the essence. Let's talk more action. No, he says, pray. Literally, pray with intensity and pray constantly. You know, that was the model or the mode that Jesus went about his ministry perfectly. Jesus even said, I, I only do and say what the Father calls me to do and say. And there's multiple passages, John chapter 5, John 8, John 12, John 15, specifically where the Apostle John is saying Jesus constantly withdrew. In fact, Mark actually makes it clear in his gospel, Jesus continually withdrew to the desert or a desolate place or to a quiet place, a lonely place, to be with his Father, to pray, to listen. Because Jesus only went about his Father's business, not his own. And the only way he knew his Father's business was to be in the presence of his Father, And it was in that place that Jesus knew what he ought to be about. The point is the pattern of Jesus' ministry tells us really the pattern of our ministry. Remember when Nabi and I were, we got to a few years ago when our family reunion got to go through to the Billy Graham Museum. And there's a lot of quotes about Billy Graham's life and his ministry and I took a few pictures of some of these quotes. One of the pictures was this One of the quotes was this that I took a picture of. It said, The secret to Billy Graham's success is based upon a spiritual foundation of seeking God's guidance and serving him in all things through the ministry of prayer. This is the first step in preparation for ministry, and it is the last step in follow-up. Billy Graham went on to say, Our ministry is primed through prayer. For God grants his power through the prayers of his people. It will always be our priority and our primary source of power in making the work possible. The fact is, only until we have listened and only until we have received from God what he wants from us to do, can you and I have the confidence, can you and I have the assurance that we are fulfilling his purposes. If I could just say it in this way, faithfulness in this life is not, de- is not defined by our activity for God, but by his activity through us. Faithfulness is not defined by our activity for God, but by his activity through us. 
We are a tool, we're an appliance. It's God making his appeal through us. It's God using us to carry out and to accomplish his redemptive work. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the question I have for you to reflect on further, and in closing, is this. How has God equipped you? How has God gifted you? How has God called you to serve his church? Paul makes a point in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that everyone has been spiritually gifted by the spirit that indwells them, and he gives the purpose for the common good. So what role has God gifted you and called you to fulfill for the common good? How has God gifted you to build up the body of Christ? As I said in the beginning, and I'll say this in my final statement, a healthy church member is a functioning church member. My prayer is that you and I would fulfill our fulfill the divine work that God has already prepared in advance for his glory and for the advancement of his gospel. May we be faithful to that end. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we're so grateful that truth is not something that we have to manufacture, come up with, It's not something that changes over time, but truth is given to us by you through your word for our good. And Father, I just pray that even as many in here are already doing this, this isn't something new to them. They're already fulfilling this. But I know there are others too that, Father, maybe they're scratching their heads. Maybe, maybe there is some confusion as to what part we play, what role we play. I don't even know what I'm gifted or good at. What do I have to offer? Father, I just pray that by your Spirit you would make eyes see. That by your Spirit you would give a path of clarity. That we would understand that a healthy follower of Jesus is an active follower of Jesus. Not consumed with activity, but consumed with the things that you call us to. Faithful to the works that you have prepared beforehand. And so we ask, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would assure and reassure our hearts in what we are already doing, and that you would compel us in those things that we are not yet doing. And Father, I pray that we as a church would all know our role distinctly, knowing that every role, every, every ministry, every place of service matters, from the most visible to the invisible. We trust that you will clarify those things for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.